Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Value Script podcast, where we bring value every episode for the everyday person with an emphasis on helping you make your mind, your body, your soul, and your empire thrive. Today, we have part two, Dr. Brennan McCarthy from Botea Medical Center. Welcome to the show, Dr. McCarthy. Thank you. So how did you obtain your passion for doing what you do clinically? Women, I don't know why. I never, I, I started, I trained under an a environmental medicine specialist. I, I thought I was going to become uh, a practice environmental medicine and environmental toxicology. You know, like people exposed to DDT or lead poisoning or arsenic. You know, that's what I was very passionate about. And uh, I did a fellowship with uh, a guy, Walter Crinian. He's one of my mentors. And um, that's where I was going. And we had a case of a woman coming in. We thought she had mercury poisoning because her labs showed it. But she was, she was not right. It was bad. And um, mercury was cleared. She should be better. But, but she wasn't. And so I started really exploring what else could be. And the very first patient I ever did this, and this was in med school. And he gave my, Walter gave me full free reign to figure this out. And it was progesterone. And I remember giving this woman progesterone. And I remember it being like night and day. And I was like, what is this? And it was originally mercury? I thought it was mercury. It wasn't. Gotcha. It was progesterone deficiency. Women, when they don't have progesterone, it's just their brain was made for it. And so without progesterone, anxiety, depression, insomnia, hmm. you know, and it's, it's unfair. And, you know, PMS is, you know, we joke around about it and stuff, but, it, and, and women are conditioned to believe that they should accept it. But treating that, seeing that before and after, it's just humbling to see something that's that easy, that simple, that safe, have that benefit. And that really started the whole process in the practice. That really is the cornerstone of everything we do is I want to get that brain better. I want to see people healthier. And, and if there's something I could do with lab work and then just with simple therapies like medicine or diet, whatever I can do, I will. Yeah. You know, but I, I, I'm so passionate about that part. That's, what, that's where it all started. And then, and then it expands out to men too. Because men, you know, talk about anxiety and men. It's not all serotonin, buddy. You know, people, they condition us to believe that. And, you know, now the research is coming out that they now know it's not all serotonin depression. You know, these SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, they're finally saying, all right, yeah, it's not all SSRIs causing, causing depression. Just like we now, Alzheimer's is not all... That's what the, I take. The pep. Yeah, so, so SSRIs, that's not, that's not the primary always yeah. the thing. And so, you know, um, hormones play a role in there. Not 100% all the time, but what does it do with you? Yeah. You know, lab work, figure you out. Mm -hmm. well, and foods, you know? can foods play a role in that as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Deep. Yeah. Deep. Because you were talking about some foods get processed um, by certain individuals into more excitatory neurotransmitters than others. And I think yeah. you said, you know, gluten is primarily one of those that, that is involved there. Um, but I mean, that, that's one thing. My anxiety is better. I've had anxiety for... I didn't realize that's what it was either for a large part of my life. <laughs> we think that's what women have. We don't have anxiety. Yeah. We're like... <laughs> i know that feeling uh, yeah. an anxiety monster yeah um and i didn't you know but i do feel now that i'm healthier i do feel better i still still get it but it and really what helped me manage that the most was meditation and and doing cold showers yeah <laughs> that's one of the you know getting and simulating that fight or flight response and helping me snap back into my thinking brain um rather than being in my emotional brain helps me a lot 
So, but that, that's really interesting. Hey, how did, I, I got to ask, um, how did you and Celeste meet? Wasn't that when you're up in the Seattle, you know, the specific Northwest area? Yeah. I just remember seeing this picture of you two, I don't know how many years ago in Pike's Market. It's 24, 23 years ago. It was, it was adorable. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, um, I was shopping. I, was, I just moved to, to I, I lived in Telluride for a few years and, uh, I was wandering. I spent like the first 10 years of my, my first, my twenties kind of wandering around. I was one of those vagabond kind of kids backpacking and traveling. And I, um, was like, I need to settle down and get a career going. And then, uh, I moved to Seattle cause I figured I'd go to school up there. And I met her at Pike place market. She was just there selling these flowers pressed in glass. And, and I just made eye contact and that was it. And then I came back and started talking to her and you know, she kind of brushed me off. It was like, you came back the next day? Yeah, I had to come back the next day. Cause yeah. She didn't, she was like, and she said, she didn't say she was going to be there. She's like, I'll be there. She's like, oh, I, I work here once a month for my mom. I'm like, it's not going to work for me. <laughs> so I went back the next day and she was there covering for someone. So I was like, lucky. And then uh, we chat. I almost ran over with my bike. I was riding my bike looking for her. And, uh, true story. And, 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 and she just, yeah, we just started talking and then, you know, we exchanged numbers, and then she called me that night and asked me out on a date. Wow, she asked you out on a date. Asked me on a date. My wife is. Everyone thinks when they meet her, she's like she's more the quiet. My wife is very. She's very inspiring, very driven, very. She's she's very um, active human being. She's a very inspiring person. Yeah, that's beautiful. This is a uh, just my mind working the way it does. How small of a window that is. Like if she, let's say she didn't cover that next day. Uh, you, you, we'll get to know each other over time, I guess, but I would go down every day. Yeah. I'm persistent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. persistent. So there's a certain amount of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I so there's a good out. answer to it. I lucked out. So. Yeah. But so I would have gone every day. So she left that big of an impression. For a year, maybe. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> when you wow. know, you what know. A, that's a, what, a, what a line, too, bro. When Whether you, you know, mean it or you not, know. That, is, that was a beautiful thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> I would have gone every day of my life for a, <laughs> even if it took a year yeah, to make I, sure I found you again. Actually, I, I, it, it, when you know me, you know I actually would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Persistence. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah, when you know, you know, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. When you know, you know. Fantastic. So one of the things we were talking about off camera, too, that I wanted you to cover is, and I've had some friends ask, and Meredith has, if you're not in the state of Arizona or, or within driving distance or whatever of your protea, how do people find a practitioner that they can put their faith and confidence in like we put in you guys? It's so hard. It is. Apparently, it's almost impossible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I have patients who fly in from around the country, and I... It's not easy to treat them because they're not there, and it's it's difficult. But it's the best we can do. Um, there are questions you should ask your doctor. One, you should have your doctor care about you, and you should know that they care about you when you walk in the room. And, and that's not a common thing. That's one. And then two, your doctor should run lab work based upon what your symptoms are, and they shouldn't blow off your symptoms and say that's just what it means to be a woman, or that's just you're getting older as a guy. Yeah, you know? you're forty five. Yeah, <laughs> you know they should be willing to run labs that show whether you're healthy or not healthy, and then they should go over your lab work line by line. Um, and I believe in, in I know it sounds weird to say as a doctor, but I believe in capitalism in a lot of ways because you know when the need arises, there'll be a market for it. And I think that as more people become educated, that they don't have to live this way. Like just right now, you know, the average sperm count in men has plummeted. 
Like we're a fraction of what we were in the 1940s and it keeps going down. Our fertility is going down. Why, why do you suppose you know, that is? Plastics in the environment. Plastics? Yeah, no doubt. Microplastics. And that was another thing. I learned that in the, in, in, you know, when I first was in school in environmental toxicology in, in the early you know, 20, 2000. In 2000 um, we, were, we were learning about it in the food chain and we knew it was causing frogs to be hermaphrodites. And... Oh wow! I remember Walter Crinian. You know, he he said, you know, how much longer until this is us? And so we yeah, know that children are being born with with a, a boys are being, and this is published. This is not argued anymore. But the boys are being born with a, a anogenital distance that's more feminizing every year, and this has to do with plastic exposure in utero. Really, in the hospital? Yeah. So so you're having this thing where where men are so, being born. You know, with lower and lower levels of androgens in utero. Now, so healthy testosterone in a man, you know, 900. Let's just say what it is. is the total testosterone should be around 900. That's a good level for a guy. When you're in the womb, your blood hits 900. Those, those first trimesters. Wow, no way. Yeah, it's true. Really? And, then, and then you're born, and that first year, you probably hit around six 700. Really, this is, this is in this is in school books. This is textbook. Wow. This is not alternative. This is not out there. And I promise you, whenever I say something alternative, I will put a caveat. This is pretty alternative. We're still figuring this part out, but this part is figured out. Did you we say this that. was testosterone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. wow. And so then, when you have a man presenting to clinic at 25, 30 years old with a total testosterone at two hundred, what's wrong? How did that happen? Yeah. And why is it there? Right. And then, and then, and they think, well. You know, the advertising, the thought process is just, oh, they're not going to be able to have erections and they're not going to build muscle mass. That That's was, all they think about it as. But it's testosterone's impact on your brain is just well documented, well understood. I mean, for anxiety alone, testosterone plays a huge role. For anxiety? Yeah. I'm getting tested tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it, it changes yeah. the way you think. Like, not necessarily the way you think, it changes the assertiveness of my thoughts. I, I think would be the right way to say that. Yeah. The assertive. I have my killer instinct back. I got like the alpha part of me that drives me and that I created things with. It's back. I lost it. And it was hard. It was stressful. You were, you were saying one of the physiologic, one of the reasons for my physiologic stress markers is because I'm trying to be somebody that my hormones or my body's not supporting me to be anymore based on who I am and how I foundationally built my, my body and my brain. But I don't have the support from the inside any longer yeah. to maintain what I'm trying to do with the outside. This is gender identity. Yeah. You're in the womb. This is what you're supposed to be. This right. is your biology. And then when you're out and then all of a sudden it starts to fail, you don't feel right. Yeah. You're not, you're, you're not you anymore. And you know, and one thing that was interesting too, you mentioned sexual performance. I didn't think, I didn't, I didn't really think ever that I had an issue with sexual performance. <laughs> what is thing you said? <laughs> you look at my blood, you're like, well, it must be sure brain power because it, <laughs> it, it ain't your hormones that are helping you do that, bro. But you can compensate. <laughs> There's different parts of your brain that can compensate for it. And that's why it's an epidemic if you run the labs. People are like, well, why aren't there all these men falling apart? You, 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 can, you can modulate. You know, There's so many redundancies in the body. So if a man has low testosterone, that doesn't mean he's going... Like, there's all these studies that show with a man with his testosterone. The Journal American Medical Association published... I'm going to say this number off the top of my head. I might be wrong. But a man whose testosterone is below 450 has a higher incidence of type 2 diabetes. That's true. That's a given. And that might be 500 or 400. But let's say 450, I believe it was. And if you have a guy who comes in, it's 300. Does that mean he's going to get diabetes? No. If he's eating right, he's good. He probably won't. But still, there's a higher chance of having that. So, so, so if you're wow. taking care of yourself and you have a loving relationship and she's your 
connection and there's this intimacy and all that, yeah, you'll still be able to have a libido. You'll still have, be able to have erectile function. These things will work all right, but it's not optimal. Right. And, it's, and, it's, and we're using compensatory parts of the brain when you're supposed to have this. This is who you are. It's what you're made to be. Yeah. You know? Is testosterone a big part of fat burning? Or anything like that? Part of it. Part of it? Part of it. Gotcha. You know, multi-layers to it. Fat oh. burning is, is a lot of it's stress. The low testosterone leading to high stress. Oh. The bump up you see in insulin from that, that high insulin. So a combination deal. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. It's yeah. a few things. Yeah. Um, you mentioned environmental poisoning uh, and toxins. That way, we, we had discussed one of the primary causes was Starbucks cups. Oh, yeah. Who knew? <laughs> right. Wait, what's that? Starbucks cups or, or plastic yeah. cups that you put hot. What, can, you, can you explain the mechanism so of that? I, so we have patients come in and, they, you know, we look at certain labs. And one of the labs we use, which is still, this is, all right, this is, this is controversial, I'm about to say. So here I got a controversial here we go, thing. <laughs> there's, there's three different types of estrogen in the human body. Estriol, estradiol, and estrone. Estrone is uh, a spent, say, a spent version of estrogen. And you're not supposed to have very much of it, you know. Uh, it doesn't have very much estrogen-like effect. It's the step the body takes before it's going to get rid of it. But that is an inflammatory estrogen. Estrone, when it's really elevated in women, that's going to cause breast cancer. It's a, definitely linked to it. Not always primary cause, but it's linked to it very strongly. Uh, it's also linked to uh, um, vein, venous uh, thromboembolytic events. Um, we throw clots, strokes. My so, mom has the BRCA gene estrogen positive. Yeah, so that's that's more going to be estradiol. But if you have estrone with that, not good. Oh, okay. Not good. Gotcha. So oral birth control ramps up estrone in women okay. big time. And that's why you see clot risks. Because she has like zero estrogen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. She, I think she was saying she could can't take. She can't. She can't. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. So in those cases, you know, I work with oncologists and then there are other things we can do in those settings. You know, I have a, a lot of close relationships with oncologists on how to treat those people with, oh, with really? hormones. And it's important that we follow their guidelines because it's a good teamwork. I, I, I really cherish my yeah. relationships with those oncologists when we treat women with those risks. Because don't, I mean, women need estrogen, don't, I mean, don't they? There are ways you can work around it with redundancies with other hormones. Oh, so you don't have to give messaging because you can't give messaging, but you can do other things around it. So you just level up another hormone. Yes. Gotcha. Kind of. Kind Depends. of. Those, I'm this taking is, this information for my mom. Yeah. So, so is a huge so, fan so of the show, plastic. by the way. Yes, right? she is. She loves the show. <laughs> so, so we have plastics in the environment. So plastic and there's, I've been reading more research, you know, plastics, when you consume and we all know it's now more like people consume the weight of a credit card a week, a week. in plastics. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's in our food chain now. It's, it's in the meat. And, but you know, like we see it, estrone becomes elevated. In my experience, estrone becomes hyper elevated and people who are eating more plastic or getting higher levels of plastic. There's some studies, there's some points that are seen in the research where plastics cross react to the estrone testing kit that they use at the lab so you're actually getting a, a indirect reading of plastic that way so it's a false elevation on the estrone so we, we just skipped past the statement that you you guys just said and just let it fly we eat what the size of a <laughs> plastic credit card, credit card. yeah like, how often a week a week, a week? there's That's how much average. plastic infused some people in are way foods. worse yeah, some people are worse. But I've gotten people to be down. I love that. That's so technically, thing. I eat. I could eat a plastic credit card, and that's what I'm put, consuming a week. Depending on your lab work and depending on what you're eating, yeah. Depends on where you're eating and how they're eating, you know, and how they prepare it. Yeah. Anything warmed up in plastic or anything, like if a plastic 
water bottle sits in a warehouse and in, in, in um, you know July in Phoenix before it gets distributed and it's over and it gets you know over 120 degrees. There you go. <laughs> that it's going to leach plastics into the water, and that's that's typically 120 degrees. So if you have you know a plastic cup or a Keurig or something, I don't want to I don't want to name brand. We're not trying to bash brands here, but yeah. like if you have a plastic <laughs> plastic cup. That you make your coffee with or drink your coffee through, or and a it's paper open. cup. You can do, so now lying. paper cups, all clear, all white paper cups, unless told otherwise, is lined with plastic. They make them. There's a there's a there's a vegetable starch they can use instead that's biodegradable. It's a tiny bit more expensive. You buy those different. It's different when you use those. You can also get plastic cups that look like plastic cups, but they're made with plant starch. This mm. this is a new technology, and this is like, you know. People get so upset talking about these things. You're like, that's not a big deal. Plastic environment, this is just garbage. It's not true. You know, it's just people can believe what they want, but the, the facts are the facts. And, and you know, it's not expensive to use those different types of plastic cups instead that are not made with plastic, they're made from plant based. But back insane. to you, and I want to make sure I'm really clear on this because yes. people will hear this and freak out. Yeah. Our ancestors grew up around volcanoes, they mm-hmm. ate food that was bacteria laden. The, the the heavy metals coming out of those volcanoes was serious. Yeah, the, there was there was uh, water that was never clean. We can tolerate a profound amount of insult, and be fine. Yeah. So getting some plastic in you, it won't kill you. With that said, lab work <laughs> and yeah. and being careful. That yeah. doesn't mean not caring or being hyper careful. It means. You know, figure out where you are in this yeah. on the scale, yeah. and it's always better to move more in that direction. But like, <laughs> I'm here. I'm doing this. Am yeah. I really worried? No. The rest mm-hmm. of my life is good. My labs are good. I'm good. Yeah. But you know, am I do it every day? No. But that's yeah. you know, still crazy. Just I didn't know that. Just the whole credit card thing just kind of blew my mind. Yeah. It's getting in the general <laughs> news. It's being released more and more. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you saw that study that more boys, more men are being born with micro penis and, you know, intersex. And you see that's a huge epidemic. I saw a video on that like yesterday. That's just due to lack of it. And now they're not being born with that 900 level of testosterone throughout the pregnancy and the first year of development. They're not getting that 600 level, yeah. which then goes dormant until puberty and then climbs back up. But it's not, that's not happening. The guy was talking about all the things that are in the baby food uh, that's being sold in stores that is causing like a shrinkage of genitalia, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. It is what you eat. What you eat matters. It does. Yeah, it's serious. It's kind of hard with babies. You're kind of limited on what you can feed them, right? Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, especially it's, with the food food uh, the baby formula food shortage. Story. Formula shortage. Gosh. I know. It's, just, it's been. I I feel for them. I, I really do. Coming back to your sperm count thing, mm-hmm. um, Elon Musk was just on the Nelk uh, podcast, and he was talking about how we actually are underpopulated mm-hmm. right now. Okay. When they're trying to say that we're overpopulated, but we're actually having a like an issue with underpopulation because we're not having as many babies or anything. I didn't know if that was something to do with less sperm count than what we used to have. I guess we're well, having less 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 reproduction. You know, less people are having kids. You know, and yeah. they're, they're waiting and they're not having a good sperm count. They're having more health problems around the kids. Yeah. Um, well, because he was saying in the seventies, I think it was right after the war. Everyone just the huge baby boom, mm-hmm. and now 
That's it's, normal, though. Yeah. And we're about to have another baby boom. I mean, remember, that baby boom came after World War II, and there's a period of plenty. Yep. There was also a micro baby boom that happened after the Spanish flu in the 1917, I think it was 16, 17, 18. You know, they we're going to probably go through another one now. I mean, one of the doctors I work with just went to like four weddings in a row. No. Yeah. yeah, this is what happens after these types of crises. You'll have a yeah. birth uptick. And I'm sure yeah. that'll happen. COVID but I think babies. Food. I think the thing we worry about is is food supply. Gotcha. That's my. This is off my. This. Yeah. 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 It's no, 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 yeah but good. it's food supply relative yeah. to population should be our biggest concerns. Honestly, Which is a huge concern right now with what's going on in Ukraine yeah. and the world grain supply. Yeah. Right. And they're already having um, you know supply chain issues, baby formula, and other things. Um, the anesthesiologists I work with, they're with uh, all the ketamine being used and um, psychotherapy now for depression and anxiety. They're True. using all those precursors to make that type of ketamine versus like the, the medical grade general anesthetic ketamine. Yeah. So they're they're having to, you know, from all levels right now, we're facing shortages um, all the way from what we eat to how we get treated medically. Which is great for market. I mean, it's terrible in the moment for health and for wellness, those things. But I think those things create demand going back to earlier, like with your health, there's not a lot of doctors who do this kind of work just like we're running out of certain foods or we're running out of certain medications it's an opportunity in a capitalist environment absolutely for people to say this is and i, I mean capitalism gets vilified i know i know but i mean i i operate in a capitalist i'm a cash-based practice and an office visit with me is about what it costs for a woman to color her hair which is not a lot of money right you know i see them twice a year maybe you know and so so I think if you if you look at it through the lens that capitalism is not always a bad thing, the invisible medicine. hand in the marketplace, and yeah. and people will so if there's more people who want this kind of care, yeah. it's, and it's not, and I'm not here to talk about my practice because I'm it's not that's not good. That's that's very short sighted of me as a person. Sure, it's more important to create the need and the people pointing out the need that they have that they didn't realize they had. Right, and and the they benefit create the of demand it. societally. They will create then, that, and then society will create the solution. Because I didn't invent this. Right, I did not invent what I do. I'm not. I am not magic. There's nothing special about me. I'll be honest with you. There's nothing. So I did not. <laughs> invent progesterone well you are a damn genius bro. I mean, oh. no but i'm just, not, I'm just so really so being sure. honest you know what i mean like you know what i mean i'm not i'm not going to sit here and say the only way to get well is through me because that's just sure. ridiculous no, yeah, but that's, that's a problem in medicine right you'll have a lot of these doctors in alternative medicine that's how they roll yeah that's how they roll that's their business model but it's short-sighted yeah you know there's only so many patients you can see right and it's more important in my opinion to create demand as wide as you can like Johnny Appleseed, that stuff, throw it out everywhere and get people to want it. And then doctors see demand, they get fed up of working and seeing 20 patients, 30 patients a day because, man, that would drive me out of my mind. Right. And, and you know, they're like, I could do this. There's plenty of ways to learn how to do this. And again, I didn't invent this. There's ways of learning how to do it and you just start doing it and it's rewarding. You know, I, like I said, I love my job, man. Yeah. <laughs> so we're doing it today, bro. We're getting the good word out. Hey, I wanted to I wanted to talk about before we wrap up estrogen and men. I know estrogen has been vilified as like, you know, I know I know bodybuilders they take you know estrogen blockers, um, those that are non natural, right, and are taking performance enhancers. A lot of times they want to like block the estrogen, but they do it to the point where it's too much, and and that can affect sexual performance, which I didn't realize, and you taught me um, that they can have like you know those bodybuilders who look great in the gym. May not be able to take care of things in the bedroom. Not at all. <laughs> I learned that the hard. Well, I learned that the hard way. Wait, no, I wait, that, do you want to explain that? <laughs> I, had a case, I had a guy, and he was a specimen. This guy was a specimen. He he was a trainer at a big box gym. And he was just one of those you know well known trainer guys in this box gym, 
And um, I'm nothing against box gyms. I go to a box gym. I love my box gym. But uh, he really, at the end of the day, he was like, I can't have an erection. I mean, I, I look like this. I have, she's beautiful. Look at me. Look at this. I have this whole thing going on, specimen thing with me and my girl. And I can't get an erection. I don't even want to have sex. I can't ejaculate. He was abusing hormones without telling me. Jeez. Gotcha. And one of the hormones he was abusing was an all. You only treat what's needed to be treated. And you treat it as little as you can in order to get the best results. In other words, don't use a heavy hand and use lab work and, and always have someone else doing it to you. Like if I were to do my own hormones, I would kill myself. You know what I mean? I shouldn't do my own self-care. Just like bodybuilders who abuse hormones should not do that because they are killing themselves. I mean, look how many of them died, right? Yeah. So, so, so at the end of the day, it's like, you know, um, estrogen, it's Goldilocks. Estradiol in men, libido, erections, totally valid. But even more importantly, when you lift, say you're going out, you're going to start lifting, so we give you, you're going to start taking testosterone. But say you take too much inactional, you block your estrogen too much, and you're lifting, you're building muscle, the muscle attaches to bone. That's how, the wor- how it works. Mm-hmm. That's how it pulls the bone, right? That's the, the power of it. And so if that tendon attachment to the bone is weak, you're going to pull that tendon. Mm-hmm. And you're, going to have a ten- you're going to have avulsion, you're going to have a tendinopathy, all these things. That comes from low estrogen because so, estrogen mediates that attachment of tendon to bone. And so you'll have more joint and bone pain. Other things estrogen plays a role, brain chemistry and mood plays a role with uh, HDL cholesterol, protective cholesterol. It's, it's, it's a part of us. It's a part of our landscape. Is that we why you it. see more torn injuries with high-profile athletes? Sometimes. <laughs> also steroids. Uh, the, uh, not steroids. Corticosteroids. If they're doing corticosteroids like uh, high levels of prednisone or uh, injectable... Um, steroids uh you know anti-inflammatory yeah uh, uh corticosteroid so i see not, uh like bodybuilders like torn biceps like so i had a friend that tore his bicep and he blamed it on taking an, an anabolic yeah. so was it the steroid or was it the both it could have both because you build the muscle up so fast but the tendon isn't attached yeah. very well right and if you you block your estrogen so much you, you just call it a day you're gonna tear it yeah that's crazy you know, you're asking for trouble every time wow balances everything yeah. Balance is everything. And, you know, getting a man to testosterone of 900, optimal, getting his estrogen, you know, 20 to 25, 30 even. You know, that's it. That's all they need. What's an estrogen level good for a female? It varies. Uh, depends on where they're in their life. Oh, gotcha. Know? But for bone density, it should be around above 82. Oh, okay. But some women, they're, some women are very feminine. And that's good and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Just like some, like, he's, he's a, his testosterone, probably closer to like 1100 is good. Right, nine hundred is like an average for us. Naturally, yeah. So, so some men, some men are very masculine. Some women are very feminine, mm-hmm. and like you have different types. You have like, and I, I don't know if I could say so Harrison Ford mm-hmm. back in the day. That guy, eleven hundred. I mean, just look at him. You know what I mean? He's just, <laughs> I mean, he's not a big bodybuilding guy, but you look at his face; his masculinity. Guy's a man, right? He's yeah. a dude. Yeah. And then look at Justin Timberlake. So we talking about Indiana nothing wrong Jones with Justin Timberlake. Yeah, okay. Justin Timberlake. Nothing wrong with him. He's probably better off at seven hundred. You see the phenotype, the body type. Mm-hmm. So men have that variable too in the healthy range, and that's fine and good. Gotcha. Women also. So some women are be really feminine, and they're supposed to be high. But when women are really high, you got to give them progesterone and testosterone to offset that excessive level of estrogen in their body. Gotcha. They're supposed to have that too. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't know personally like what, like even the numbers, like testosterone. I didn't know 900 was like kind of a base. Now, so, you know. And the reference range in labs now are being more based upon the averages in America. Mm-hmm. So testosterone in men, 
some lab companies has around 1100 is the top end and and 250 is the bottom end they've lowered it down at one point i saw 750 to 90 for men wow and that's not based on what's healthy it's based upon what's average now and estrone which is the one that's more associated with pathology it used to be for men zero to 72 LabCorp just bumped that reference range to zero to 168. I think it's 168. Based on averages. No reason other than that. Based on averages, not based on what's best health outcomes. Based on, on me, you know, median Capricious. averages. Wow. Just, yeah. just learning these things, I don't understand why we weren't taught these things growing up. Like, I felt like it sh- that should have been a thing in school that I learned. We're still figuring out. Yeah. This whole epidemic of low testosterone still hasn't been fully accepted by the medical establishment. It's getting there. Yeah. I think in the next 10 years, you're going to see it becoming a really understood thing. And the environment has impacted us so negatively for, for reproduction and for just, you know, uh, uh, you know, our health, our wellness, and the benefit these, these hormones play in that. And the, the need to do it safely with lab work and verified with, with consistent, you know, care. It has to be under supervision always, medical supervision, yeah. carefully. Yeah. I was going to ask, are there, obviously there's always side effects, right? Um, are there risks associated with, I'd heard a doctor criticizing somebody who was doing hormone therapy. He was a Western trained medical doctor um, because he told her that it was going to, she was going to develop heart disease. Yeah. Yes. So what, can you, can you talk about that? Like what yep. is, what, what is it? hundred percent. This is really frustrating because it's, true and it's not true if you give uh if you give a woman oral estrogen you run a higher risk for deep vein thrombosis and breast cancer because oral estrogen gets converted to estrone in the liver really fast you see elevations of estrone in those women so when a doctor says by taking that estrogen you're gonna have a heart attack or you're gonna end up having a stroke or you're gonna end up having breast cancer orally yes that is a risk and that is a concern. If you do synthetic estrogen, yeah, you're going to get breast cancer at the higher rate. Absolutely. Synthetic estrogen, it's not even bioidentical. We even get it bioidentical in this conversation. It's a whole other thing. Yeah. So there's synthetic versions of these hormones that are dangerous. So when a doctor says you're doing hormone replacement therapy, is going to kill you. Yes, it will because you're using synthetics. There's a synthetic version of progesterone called uh, medroxyprogesterone acetate or MPA. And that is definitely associated with breast cancer. We use it in birth control. It is not a good thing for women to have. So it is proven to lead to breast cancer. That's why you can't be on it for very long. You don't want to be on it during these years of reproduction. And it even says it on the, the sheet you find, fill out, yeah, you get breast cancer with this. Right. So when a doctor says that, it's part of the truth, but it's not the truth. When you use, so when you come in and I test you and you are low in testosterone, I give you bioidentical natural testosterone within a normal physiological range that is verified as being healthy and safe. And then we run all the labs associated with downstream metabolites. Make sure it's not doing anything bad with you. Are you making too many red blood cells? Are you making too much estrogen? What are we doing with this testosterone? Make sure it's safe. If you're doing that, you're fine. The, 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 the way you get into someone's body is one thing, and then the dose you do and the type of hormone you do are the others. And once you have all those three lined up, you're fine. But when done wrong, yeah, it's unsafe. It's just they vilify it mm-hmm. and make it seem like blanket statement, it's all bad. Throw the whole and baby out with the bathwater. Yes. I can't tell you how many women I have given progesterone to in my career, oral micronized progesterone, which is bioidentical natural progesterone. This is really important. And you'll do a mammogram on those women before and a mammogram six months later. And their breast cancer risk factors, lifetime risk factors, breast cancer, 
every single time goes down. I challenge someone to prove me wrong on that. Wow. Every single time I've ever done it, I've always seen it go down. Using oral micronized progesterone, which is a bioidentical natural progesterone, which inhibits estrogen stimulation of that glandular tissue. Synthetic progesterone, ah, other way around, increases that risk every single time. So when a doctor tells his patient, your progesterone is going to cause your breast cancer, is he talking about oral micronized progesterone or the synthetic medroxyprogesterone acetate? You know, I know the names are confusing. Yeah. It's but to it me, it's like I know what I'm talking. I know it because I deal with it every day. But for a person on the street, no one tells them that. No, but you, but the, in, in general, though, if you're going to have hormone therapy, you want to make sure you're doing bioidentical hormones. Bioidentical hormones, and you're running your labs to verify you're within the correct ranges, and you live longer. You don't live shorter. You live longer doing these things, and the the, the research is so overwhelming with that. But the research is also overwhelming that synthetics. And poor delivery mechanisms will kill you. Look at bodybuilders. Yeah. They're yeah. All, they don't live long. That's one of the deadly, the, the, the I get quiet secrets, I think, of that sport is how many of them die. You know, Sadly. Through the extreme methods they do with, with training, hormones. Yeah. Also, then when they're doing prep and they're cutting and they're extreme dehydration and they're taking diuretics. And I had a friend it's a that physiologic, had a... It's a physiologic hurricane. Yeah. You, know? you look healthy. You look, I mean... You know, that's what Ernie's saying. You look healthy. And sometimes when you look unhealthy, you're actually not so unhealthy. Right? <laughs> the last podcast, we were talking about fat, fat, um, uh, fat, skinny fat. Yeah. It's like you look great, but your, your body's mostly fat. There's no muscle in your body. You don't feel healthy or you get more body pain, more body aches. It really is. The body's not always, you look good, but you know, what's going on in the hood. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. That's <laughs> like, I like the car analogy. I can relate to that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> last thing I want to talk to you is, you know, um, one of the main reasons I started this podcast and my main driving forces behind it was the mental health of my profession and medicine and medical healthcare providers in general. Um, I, you know, I've had multiple friends closely um, that have been severely affected by mental health outcomes. And I wondered, you know, how do you maintain your mental health? What do you do to make sure that you can, as I think that's something you, you and I have both kind of gone through fairly recently um not without getting too personal i'll um, get personal i mean get you personal. can get personal i don't get personal for you i'm open i'm open because <laughs> i think I, mean? I, I, I think um, it's important to be open yeah go ahead like, so how do we like how what do you do like how what's how do you maintain your brain like what, what what do you have a mental health routine do you have a daily routine that helps you stay on track you know is it the passion of your practice how do you maintain a positive mental outlook practicing medicine um Celeste, last, last podcast alluded to, we had a son who was born when I was in medical school with some severe health uh, risk. He, he wasn't going to live. And um, that stress in medical school was brutal because we were broke. And I had to, I had an acupuncture degree because I, was, I did that and I was going to become a naturopath. So I was going to do a combined degree. So I started practicing acupuncture so I could stay in school and Celeste could stay home with my son. And, you know, starting acupuncture practice, you know, it's not... You know, make point doing that right off the bat. That doesn't work. But I, we did. It did. And I made it work. Um, we were in the right area for it. Yeah. Well, we were, no, we were, in, we were in Tempe. Oh, I thought we're, you were in Seattle. Oh, you no, went to, Tempe. you did your, your uh, I've been my naturopath here. I get my oh. acupuncture in Hawaii. Gotcha. Flew here, practice acupuncture here. So, so I, I had to work with my son who was in the hospital. You know, he had a nasogastric feeding tube for a year. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, then my daughter was born with something similar. You know, and I've, I've, you know, we dealt with autism in our family. Um, 
you know, I, I've gone through more stress, I think, than, than not. You know, everyone has their stressors. I've gone through a lot and um, trauma. And uh, it affects you as a person. And, 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 you know, I wasn't able to get past a certain point in my life because I would have so much static, so much self-defeating things would happen to me because you know, I had so many bad things that happened. And, and in order to keep my family going, I was full-time medical school, but I was also working full-time. And then, um, you know, it was, it was rough. Wow. So what, 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 when, when did you sleep? I broke, I broke, uh, I broke when I was 42. Wow. I finally broke. And, uh, you know, I, I went into EMDR. I discovered EMDR therapy. Um, my best friend's son did two tours, uh, in Iraq and I watched the kid and I watched him before and after and during it he would come and spend he spent a christmas with this one's great kid but i just watched that and i say you know i i didn't have the same type of trauma as he did but i i had trauma and so you know through that i learned about emdr and um is that the light yeah okay and so i started doing that in 20 2012 and you know i was early in the practice still you know scraping nickels together you know i think i was on food stamps till 2010 uh on the government cheese. <laughs> it's broke. <laughs> you know, I paid that back. Um, but it was, it was stretched to financially afford it. But if I had to sell my car and walk to work, I would do it again. So I did EMDR for years, years, weekly, sometimes I do double sessions or twice. In for week. years? I'm still in. I'm 10 years. Is wow, still doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I stopped after a while. I felt it was pretty good handling my family well, handling my stress well. Um, but I wasn't managing my business well. And I still had stress. I still was, you know, getting angry or upset or hurt or frustrated. And I was more emotional than than anything. I was being triggered by things going on because you care about these people, your patients. You and when you're setting up a protocol for someone, it's so important to get it right. Because I mean, you, you know, you see how I feel about you when I feel that way about my patients. And you set up a protocol and it's not being followed through correctly, and you just feel like you're failing that person. And I would really emotionally beat me up and. um and I would be more wrapped up in the emotion rather than the logic of like, I don't got to fix this. I got to fix this. But I would be so beat up. And uh, so I went back and my, I had a, I had a, a business um, consultant for my practice helping me structure it and scale it. And uh, he, he was like, you got to go back into EMDR. He even told me. No, you got to go back to that. He didn't even know I'd done the EMDR, <laughs> but he's like, hey, Brandon, you got to go into EMDR. You ever heard of it? I'm like, yeah, I've done that. <laughs> We're back in. And I did that again. And I did another round. And uh now it's more like, you know, I'm doing this workshop this weekend coming up called For the Daring Way from Brene Brown. You know, it's like how to be a, a more open, you know, leader uh, with my staff, that sort of thing. So, so you know, for mental health, I um, it's I think it's, it's, it's made me a better husband, it's made me a better friend, it's made me a better doctor, better manager of the people around me, more accountable as a man. Um, that's been my, my biggest work has been you know, constantly in therapy, that hasn't changed. You know, I, I play, you know, around with other hobbies on the side and stuff. I have little fun things I do. I like to sail. My wife and I picked up sailing. You know, there's a lake here in Arizona we sail at. There's little things I do on the side for fun, but that really has been the, the, the mental health thing. That's awesome. So you go in regularly. I mean, it's it's a it's a part of your... Yeah, I'm every other week now. Yeah. So I'm, I like to say I'm pretty much cured. <laughs> I'm, almost, I'm almost, you know, so what I say, I'm almost cured. <laughs> So it's like, <laughs> I'm almost cured. 
of my PTSD. I, I had a therapist that did EMDR with me. And it was funny. It was kind of one of those, it was one of those things that, man, I was just exhausted afterwards too. I remember, but just exhausted. You're kind of sitting there you're like, this isn't working. You know, it's kind of kooky, whatever. Yeah. And it took, man, it took a year before I had a major breakthrough. But then all of a sudden it was like, I could see the bricks of my, like inside my brain, I could see the picture of like something behind a wall. And as the bricks started crumbling off the wall, I saw this secret and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'd forgotten about that. I I totally know what you're talking about. And it was, was, I was driving down the freaking freeway and I was like, (laughs) (laughs) where you do your best meditation. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, Oh my gosh, I'd forgotten about this. And I called my counselor and I tell her, and she's like, it makes sense now. It all makes sense now. And then, you know, we're able to move forward. And then, then she uh, ended up with COVID and everything. She ended up moving to Indiana. So then we didn't do any therapy for a year. And man, I was a flat wreck. We almost, we almost didn't, I mean, we almost didn't make it through that year. And at the end of that year is when we moved into this house. And that move was really rough on us. Like just really, really rough. And I remember we were getting ready to like pack boxes. And I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And I was like, actually curled up on the floor in my closet crying in a ball dude and like honestly and i was like i don't want to feel like this anymore i don't i don't want to feel like this anymore and so i looked up a phone number and my my good friend had given me uh, to his counselor and i called him and i was like and i I called him and his wife answered and and i said i need i need to come in and um she said what's going on and i kind of told her she goes we can get you in at night it's <laughs> what you deserve. Yeah, it was not healthcare providers like that. <laughs> yeah, is what we need. Yeah, you know, it was amazing. And I was like, and I asked her, I was like, "Hey, I, uh, Jeff really doesn't work that late normally, does he?" She's like, "No," but I knew you needed to come. It's what you need. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it's really it's been great. I I started going uh, once a week for a long time, and now I'm on. Eh, it depends. Depends on um, how, how snarky I get, you know. That's kind of measure. Like, it's good measurement. Like, like start feeling like, you know, I don't realize you're angrier more often. But yeah, um, I, I usually once a month. But then you know, right now we're kind of going, Meredith started going with me. And, and we've been going every other week, kind of-ish, depending on how things have been going. But um, I think it's important, man, to have those mental those mental reps, those those mental therapies, like don't. I feel like this has been so stigmatized for so long, and and um, it's just like we didn't talk about this in the last last podcast. Like, showed up with JD, I forgot, but like with Dak Prescott, you know, he came out and he talked about how he has like crippling anxiety, and he got a lot of criticism for saying that, and that like to me it made me endear endearment to him because he was like. They were saying, hey, you're the leader of the team, and uh, the team's going to take their cues from you. How, you can't come out and tell them you got anxiety. And he was like, how many of those players have anxiety too? Yeah. And now if I talk about how I overcome it, I can help them overcome it. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. That's the movement, right? Not the whole let's shun it and let's shun being real and let's pretend everything's perfect movement that we can't live through. We realize that. Yeah. We, we try to do that as a society. Life is way more dynamic than that. Right. It's way more dynamic right. than that. But to I me, that just made him think that is that 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 is a leader I would follow on the football field because he's honest. Yeah. And he's real. Yeah. And he's he's doing what I'm doing too. Um, but he's honest. He's being willing to be honest about his struggles with it. And I was, I thought, man, I have to actually become a Cowboys fan. You can be my support. Network <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. McCarthy, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. It's an honor. Thank loved, 
Loved having you here. I know this has been a valuable content for our audience, and I uh, really appreciate Celeste being here as well. You're, you're not necessarily on camera right now, but you're off in, off in the shadows. But um, we really appreciate this. It's, it's really, it's been life-changing for us. I will just tell you guys listening, it matters. It matters. You know, get, find a doctor you can trust. Get your, get your blood work done. Look at your entire body systems from your thyroid all the way through your body. Make sure your body's looking at every system and, and talking about it and reviewing it with you. And if they're not, how do they really know how healthy you are? And how do they really know that the, prescribe, the things they're prescribing for you are really having the effect that they think they're having? Unless they're actually testing it, seeing it for themselves. So that in mind, I'd like to wrap the show up. Thank you very much. Don't forget to clickety-click, like, share, subscribe. Uh, we will see you again on another amazing episode of The Value Script. 